0: Hello everybody, you're listening to my wonderful chat with Glyn Fussell, aka Glyn Fuzel, as we've just agreed. (laughs) He uh, has swung by to talk about his amazing new book and many other things, including Mighty Hoopla and Sink the Pink, the queer institutions which he founded, and they are full of good, clean fun, let me tell you. If you haven't listened to part one, you've got to go back to the feed and listen to that first, because them's the rules.
2: Can I just tell you this, and I'm, I'm not just saying this. This was the podcast that got me into podcasts, your podcast. No! Yes, I feel like I finally tipped a massive thing off my list because I, I always wanted to come on. I'm the biggest fan of sapiens.
0: Oh, thanks. That's very sweet of you. I feel like we're both trying to do something, but in different ways. You've got <laughs> Rave, I've got Radio 4. You know, it's like... <laughs> It's a place where people can hang out and not feel, you know, and a response to like, I don't want anyone to feel like what I did. Yeah. That's my thing. But, you, you know, know,
2: isn't the beauty is all of this is storytelling. All of it is yeah. Um, yeah. creating space, right? Well, that's what we're doing, whether it's a podcast or whether it's an event or whether it's a book. But I think that we, as queer people, um, we have a responsibility to pass down our culture, because, mm. you know, we don't have a book that we read in a church. We don't mm-hmm. have that.
0: Well, we do now. There, <laughs>
2: I read the Bible. <laughs> we'll call it babble. <laughs> Glim for sells babble. <laughs> yeah. Where do I <laughs> um but yeah, I think we have to keep speaking to other people and 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 putting ourselves out there. You know, I don't I, sometimes I just when I was writing this book, I'm like, oh my god, what if nobody gives a shit? And actually mm. I thought, get over yourself. It's not about me, actually. I'm just carrying forward all the knowledge that great people that taught me. I was I was mm. so lucky before I think the pink that I have this amazing East London community around me, like Johnny Woo and John Sizzle mm. owned the Glory in East London, and people like Lavinia Co-op before and Princess Julia. These people really taught me so much stuff and I will have to continue to teach other people and it, we have to do that
0: for for, yes.
2: for the next generation.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and did you... Because it's called A Manifesto for Misfits and there isn't actually the word LGBT anywhere on the cover type thing. You know, like, was it important to you that it was broader than that? Broader than queerness?
2: Yeah, because I, I think the DNA of all my work is... Way more label-less. Even though I've always been put in these boxes, I think I've always been trying to do stuff that because mm. because I don't want I don't want to just write a book that you can only read you you can only read this if you are LGBTQ. I I want this to be a book that my mum can read, which she has about mm. ten times and That's reads fair. me passages back. But also oh, that uh. you could you can um, you know. I feel so proud of my community of everything that we stand for. And I actually think that we've been force fed a lot of, um, straight information for a long Mm -hmm. time. And actually I don't, it shouldn't be an exclusive club. Everything I've ever stood for, Sing the Pink, Mighty Hoopla. I think, I, I just have a zero bullshit. Come in and as long as you're not a prick, then let's all just humanise each other and speak to each other and hear each other's stories and come with mm. empathy and love and understand difference.
0: Yeah, and also what I think is quite good about the book is that if you are that teenager who knows they are queer in some way, yeah, um, I don't mind ordering that book and my parents seeing the cover. Like... Whereas if it was like how to be gay or whatever, you know, like you it's problematic so it's like a, it's quite a nice little trojan and horse. That, that
2: was intentional um yeah and really, that was okay. because i kept thinking about myself when i was 13 and i was this bjork fan and mm. i was alternative before i was gay because that was easier because i found ah. i found my misfit alliance in alternative music and so i had all the kind of weird you know myspace haircut kids that were my friends and, oh, and we were we were all queer but none of us were out but what we all yeah. have was Bjorn. Yes. And if we had a book like that that didn't exactly have I am gay yeah. he- Hello Mum. Uh, then <laughs> then I thought that it's something that mom, we please can, can you tell that Exactly. Dad. <laughs> we can all we can all communicate a, a secret, yeah, a secret code, I guess.
0: And tell me about the first moment you thought you were different.
2: My first memory, I so I'm one of seven and my mum was a child mine, very working class, small house. Um so it was carnage in my house. And I was very shy growing up, which no one will ever believe. Painfully shy. I felt very fragile growing up. And mm-hmm. I it, i was—I always remember, as, as far back as I can remember, waking up every day and laying there for a minute and having to plan how I was just going to get through that day. And, and yeah, and I was always, you know, there's a lot of stress and that's a lot to carry. And... I had one safe space in my front room, and again, I put this in the book. And my mum used to have those dark brown, long curtains with lining. Yeah, it was throwback to the seventies, and there was yeah. lining, and I would hide in them. I thought no one could see me. All my family knew I was in there, but they just left me, oh. and I would just sit in there for hours and hours and block everything out. And a lot of my imagination came from that. My mum said I would just literally climb in a cardboard box and sit there for hours. Wow. So yeah, I always, I I've always known I've always felt just like an alien, really, I guess.
0: And was there a sense of being overstimulated as well, like by your difference that so you sort of needed a time out of some description? Mm, not really. I look at the career that I've had and a lot of things I do
2: now, and I think mm. I was manifesting it inside those boxes and inside that curtain. You really? know? Yeah, because I think that when you're queer and not able to live outwardly you go inward and you romanticize visualize and your imagination you know I didn't grow up in a creative household you know however I'm very creative and my imagination is ridiculous and I think Mm. that that comes from having a a, a physical block in how I could live my life externally. Yeah. So I had to look inwards and create these kind of dystopian, ut- like, I don't know, like I was just living in the clouds in a utopia. And and so there's no coincidence that I've created these little pockets of queer utopia, I think.
0: Yeah. Cause you said um, a lovely thing, which was uh, inside of me was a glorious show pony, but I didn't have the confidence to do it on the outside. And following on from that, that one thing that you said, which I wanted to, which struck me, I really want to ask you about was you said, I've always thought of myself as more akin to being a lesbian. <laughs> um, tell me, <laughs> tell me what that means. <laughs> I can't work out if that's you being playful or if it's like a real thing. So
2: first and foremost, I am from a family where women are power, you know. I'm from, and I've surrounded myself all my life with unbelievably powerful, strong women. And I've just, I've always called myself a lesbian trapped in in a queer man's body. I've always, I don't know, I've never... You know, and I could get in trouble with this. Um, A lot of certain things that I tried, you know, in my 20s and 30s, and they just do not work for me. Um, And I've always been a little bit scared of overtly gay clubs, if I'm honest. You know what I mean by that? Right. um, Very gay man only clubs that kind of thing oh
0: for me they're terrifying yeah it's just too much like
2: and i'm i'm a little bit you know a little bit you know i'm a serial monogamist i meet someone they live with me within two months you know i'll talk to talk to lesbian friends they're like god you're more lesbian than me you know and i'm like thanks yeah i'm good with that (laughs) i mean i but then also at the same time i think women are power you know and i Mm -hmm. i think maybe it's me just lusting over the lesbians wanting to be a lesbian
0: more than anything when you say you t- you, you tried things in your 20s but they didn't work
2: when I was in my 20s you know I would I was always just one night stands and trying to be like that gay guy in the club yeah. and
0: yeah, yeah yeah and
2: and trying out all those scenes and it just didn't it's just not for me and also by the way if it is for you great I just it yes. didn't come down it, I just couldn't I always just, I yes. think I'm too, like, I'm very, I find it very hard to disconnect emotionally. Um, oh, yes. You know what I mean? I find it very hard to disconnect emotionally when I'm having sex.
0: Yeah. Well, this is sort of links to the whole thing, which is that, like, within your own, you know, you find your your gang, but actually within your gang, you can be a misfit. But And so many gay men feel like that. I don't need to be this topless alpha version of a male in order to be a good gay man. I can be... I was so like you. Like, I just wanted to fall in love, you know, and, yeah. and, and like cuddle and...
2: And you found that.
0: I did find it. Boy, did I kiss a lot of frogs, though.
2: I mean, I, I went further than just kissing the frogs. <laughs> I got the whole damn swamp. And there was a lot of frogs spawn.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was everywhere. Um, I think... For me, you know, it's have to put for me on the end, like mixed is my favorite, a mix of every gender identity, every da yeah. da like I think all one is I, in any in anything, I think is just the best that's,
2: but that's that's why Sing the pink was born, you know that was exactly the catalyst and why it worked as well, I think it was mm. the thing about Sing the pink which was was so great, beginning to the very end was that it was never overtly sexual. It was playful. It was yes. it was like um, a school disco, but you got to do it on your own t- It was like a big queer prom, really. Yeah. Because back in the beginning, you know, we, we got paid in drinks tickets at the beginning. No lie. Wow. And so we, wow. we just, to our friends, you can be on the door, you can DJ, you know. And so we just did it all ourselves. Because essentially we were just doing it for ourselves at the beginning
0: yes that's how it started and then it became this huge thing with like you know what what would you say was your biggest gig i mean there were tons brixton academy
2: mm, well biggest. no we i say our biggest actually was our final one we did print works which is i think six thousand, and we sold it out in eight minutes final wow. there's not many um club nights that go for that long 14 nearly 15 years and wow. we were more in demand on that final one than we'd ever been. But we've done some crazy stuff. We played Times Square. You know, we've been on Graham Norton. We did Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo Pride. Through the streets, four million people. I mean, Lonely. it's actually mental. And when, you, when something finishes, the beautiful thing is you get to look at it and feel a real immense sense of pride because you're not mm. in it and you're not thinking, we've got to do more, we've got to do more. It's, mm. a t- it's a time for reflection, and I got to do all of that with people that will be my friends forever and so that's God I sound like Jerry Halliwell done in Spice. Girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> look how that worked out. And um, um, why did it finish?
2: um because many reasons I would say that the it's a different time now. Mm-hmm. I think that my job felt very much for a long time that. I had to always be a couple of steps ahead and, and sensing what was happening. And Because when mm-hmm. you're in it, you're just going, this is amazing, we're performing on stage, we're doing this, and I'm getting paid, there's, you know, opportunities. But I could see stuff was changing and there was lots of other, there's lots of great Sink the Pink inspired nights out in London now. So I think sometimes... Because
0: you- you, it was early to be, because Sink the Pink was essentially... Bringing drag to club nights, right? Which obviously yeah, was But also,
2: it was this like labelless night that was more a, like a house party, and mm-hmm. there was no rules, and it was um, themed and silly, very silly, you know. Yeah, yeah. And surreal at times. I think the best ever review we ever got was from. I don't know, someone that was great. And they said that Sigma thing is like walking into John Walter's brain.
0: Oh, wow.
2: And I, wow. I almost stopped them. Like, we've done it. Like, that's, that's it. Great. We've done it. Yeah. Um, very true, actually. And I think that, you know, there's that little TV show that's happening with that. She's going to be big. RuPaul, I think her name is. Um, <laughs> but all of a sudden, you know, we've got this scene that we were all on a level. We were all in it together. And now, And and that show is amazing, amazing Mm -hmm. what it's done for queer people. But it is a show and it it affects the way that the club scene is. And Chris, Mm -hmm. I was 27 when I started. I'm 42 now. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of other things. And I think you have to just, when all those things come together, you go, God, what a run. Like, what a legacy. Mm -hmm. The fact that we're still really in demand. And there's been nights in the past that fizzle. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I just want, we should go out. I owe it to the legacy of that night and everyone that loves it, that it goes out on our terms, in our way, at its absolute Mm -hmm. peak. And people remember it how they should remember it, which is, I don't know, something that's had an impact on people. And that was my responsibility, really, to to keep what it stands for in, it, in the way that people remember
0: it well hopefully there'll be a little comeback in a bit because maybe that'll be the uh like the inverted loop you bring people back for the mighty hoopla then someone's going to have to try and bring you back Glynn is pulling a series of faces yeah. so <laughs> just so everybody knows there's a series of faces being what could they mean Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just to summarise a bit more on the book, what I love about it is the way it's laid out. It's really colourful. It's got a sort of colourful Henry Holland vibe. Would that be fair to say? I love Henry. That's a great compliment. In your face, it's really engaging and it's just got lovely, all different things of how to be a misfit and how to find your dream and create your happy place. And then you've got all these little phone of friends throughout it where you phone people like, is it Mel C? Is Mel one oh, of the phone Mel C's
2: calls? in it, yeah.
0: Mel C. Um, and then we've got cameos from people like Skim from Skunk and Nancy, Jade Thirlwall from Little Mix. You may have heard of them. Um, and all... These lovely little sort of titles that sum up so much, like find your tribe, take a step to understand yourself, and safe spaces—all these things that it's—it's it's, it's just lovely how you've brought it all together. Thank I think you. all these things that we all know that we have learnt through our queer journey. One thing I didn't expect to see coming up was Marie Kondo to make a cameo. Uh, Tell me about how Marie Kondo ended up here, because actually I'm fascinated by the concept of self-sabotage, which is the link. But, well, uh...
2: I just got a bit obsessed. But the thing is, you got I, met, I wrote this book in pandemic yeah. whilst we were all sorting our lives and sorting our houses, but also at the same time, sabotaging our lives. I don't know about you, mm. but God, I mean, I almost don't want to say the P word because it was so traumatic for me. And I just, mm. this book... Therapized me in many ways, but like my habits changed. I watched a lot of i- i tell you one thing I did I started therapy in pandemic, which oh. really got me through and and started really decluttering my life, decluttering mm. my brain mm. o- opening up my uh of trauma and Ooh. yeah, and really i i um and it was the first time. <laughs> it just coincidentally ran alongside writing a book that I look back to look forward almost. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because I think the world stopped, which was wonderful, but, but I've never stopped. And I think also I run events. I do, that's what I do as a job. And that obviously, as you can imagine, in the pandemic was somewhat tricksy. So yeah. there was a fear for me. That terrifying. There was a fear for me that my everything i had ever done mm. might never come back. And I went on a mad. <laughs> I just went through mad spending sprees of buying things like canoes. <laughs> I bought two, two canoes. <laughs> um, and and, okay. and and when you
0: literally weren't allowed outdoors to use it. Yeah, Great. exactly.
2: I bought canoes. Um, I bought a keyboard still on the still on wow. the box, and then I would go on mad like OCD cleaning rants, you know interesting so yeah there's a lot of things in the pandemic though I felt in a weirdest way I was in like a sort of social experiment of myself you know the big brother mm. house of my own brain and my own past wow but I came wow. out the other side I put a lot of it in the book mm. um because I think that anyone that writes a book where they're giving advice like if you're not doing it through lived experience or you're only doing it, I should say, for your own lived experience. It's a bit holier than now. So I did a lot of seeking advice from other people that were sort of experts in certain stuff, you know? And that's Mm -hmm. where that whole phone a friend thing comes in. Lovely. Um, Yeah. Because I really, in the pandemic, I don't know about you, but it was so... If I didn't have those people at the end of the phone, I would have lost my mind, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I need to get better at meltdowns because I very much internalize them. So I was having a meltdown, but I would just keep it all within. I wasn't really calling anyone. I was calling everyone. I I sort of go into like mode of trying to check everyone else is okay. And then I realize I've behaved really strangely for three months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always like afterwards I'm like, what the fuck? I think actually
2: it was the first time I broke myself down properly. And then at the time to really pick it all back together. Mm -hmm. And... Face all the stuff of why I did that and where it came from, put it back wow. together. And as much as it was a really horrendous, horrendous time, I've come out the other side of it in a way more balanced place, mm. I would say.
0: And tell me, is there a link there with one of the things you say in the book, which I think is something that's really helped me, is that, you know, um, allowing yourself, when it comes to mental health, like allowing yourself to be vulnerable yeah. is the greatest gift you can give yourself.
2: I think I come from an environment that, that I didn't have the luxury to allow myself to be vulnerable. I had to get a very thick skin and I've been running very fast up here with scissors all my life and I think... Yeah. Um, juggling the scissors as well, may I add.
0: With heels on.
2: Always with heels and in a jockstrap, balancing an egg in my anus. Um, <laughs> but I have grown so much because I am allowing myself to be very vulnerable. And it's been quite the, the breath of fresh air. And I, I'm all for the first time ever. I'm, I'm always very honest with others, but I'm not very honest with myself. And I'm learning to be very honest with myself and then communicating how
0: I feel. And it's just it's just improved
2: every aspect of my life.
0: Wow. I love that. I love that. Um, well, listen, thanks for doing it. And thanks for putting it all in the book, because then other people aren't going to have to run up hills with scissors. You know, and they should do the hills. You should always wear hills while walking up a hill. The book is called Sink the Pinks Manifesto for Misfits. Be different, be free, be you. The foreword is by Lily Allen. We didn't even get onto her. One of my favorite people on that glenn thank you so much for your time chris um,
2: this is so lovely and i can tick um, tick homo sapiens off my bucket list
0: oh well we aim to please now listeners if you want to get in touch about glenn's book or anything in fact at homo sapiens on instagram it's at homo sapiens podcast on facebook and it's hello at homo sapiens podcast for agony uncles send us your agony uncles i could have answered some with glenn uh thank you so much for listening thank you for joining me Glynn. this has been wonderful being my go pilot best of luck with the book and please let this not be the last time you chat to us I oh, would love to come back